Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin. The only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. Um, your boys in the Draft Act NBA draft podcast my name is Corey Tulliba and I am here as always with my dude Albert garbage time Gim. Albert what is popping dude hello um love the energy today it's uh great to be back we are I don't know it's it's it feels like an exciting week um we're really counting down getting close to the college basketball season so for me I, it feels good it feels good i'm ready to rock i'm excited about the player we're going to be talking about today because i think our takes on him might be a little spicy might be a little controversial i don't know but i'm excited to talk yeah maybe but and as we'll get into in a few minutes with uh the preseason stock price also maybe not so okay. um sure. i think we'll see uh we are talking about Derek Lively, the uh, Duke freshman big man who is 18 years old right now, listed at 7'1". I've seen him also at 7'2". The thing with Lively, reported 7'8 inch wingspan. Wow. So that kind of shocked me when I I read that, and I read it on ESPN.com. So a reputable website is is reporting that you know we'll see obviously at some point when when he measures at the draft but his length didn't seem that that kind of absurd maybe it's just because we've been watching uh victor Wembanyama tape recently nothing seems absurd anymore but uh reported seven foot eight inch wingspan 215 pounds uh he averaged 14 points per game 14 rebounds four and a half blocks uh, his senior year of high school, 21-22 Gatorade Player of the Year in Pennsylvania, McDonald's All-American, uh, played the Hoop Summit, all of that jazz. Preseason stock price for Mr. Lively. ESPN has him at 6. Uh, SB Nation at 13. Bleacher Report at 15. Basketball News at 11. The Athletic, 14. Tankathon, 13. At No Ceilings. We have him at 10. We will be releasing uh, our first composite big board very shortly at noceilingsnba.com. So we have him at 10. That is an average stock price of 11.7. So, Albert, I ask, as I always do, 
Is Derek Lively's stock price too high, too low, or is it just right? <sighs> okay. I think for Corey, what was the number again? Sorry. 11.7. 11. Yeah. So I think that's fair. Let, let's start there. I think it's fair because on my own personal board, I had him at 12 or 13, I believe. Um, so I think that is fair. I will restrain myself from saying any more because we have so many uh, things to get into with his game. But at this point, with what I've seen, I think it's fair when I kind of even things out with how I view him. When I think about him, that feels fair to me right now. I actually think it's fair. I do. I think he's properly properly rated. He's a little bit lower than, uh, or he's higher than um, where I personally have him. But I understand the appeal. And I understand almost like the safety in this kind of player archetype. So um, I think, you know, if you get this kind of player, the kind of player that he projects to be, if he shows that, um this year at duke i understand taking that as kind of like a back-end lottery type prospect so um obviously we have to go through this college season the draft process i bet by the time we do his next episode you know we're going to be talking about how uh he's been raining threes at you know draft workouts right but um as of right now i think it's completely fair so uh derek lively is a big man where do you want to start with him um, you know, usually when we're talking about bigs, I don't know, I feel like we'll go to other places, but you just kind of threw that in there very casually, Corey, about him potentially hitting a lot of threes one day. Um, I think we should start with the shooting. Interesting. I, I feel like we're going to have some opinions about it. Okay. So talk to me. Where okay. are you at with Lively as a shooter? Ah, <sighs> Here we go. Uh, I will read you this part of my notes because I want to start here. What I wrote was, I think he's a bad shooter. Okay. Um, it's where I started. Um, now, am I saying that I think he's always going to be a bad shooter? No. At this exact point in his development with what I saw from high school, I think right now he's a bad shooter. I think he needs a ton of work. I think his misses were really janky at times. Uh, when it went in, and you see the way that this guy moves and how fluid he is and the confidence that he has in his jump shot. I was like, okay, I can understand where if you took out all the clips of him making threes, you would be very intrigued with him. I understand that. He also missed a shit ton of shots. And for me, with where I am right now and my evaluation of him at this point, I think he's a bad shooter. I think with work and more reps, I think he could become a good shooter, maybe. Um, but right now, at this point, I think he's a bad shooter. I, to be fair, as high school prospects, even the quote-unquote good shooters are kind of bad shooters, probably yeah. statistically. Um, but I, I don't know if he's going to shoot enough threes at Duke for me mm -hmm. to classify him as a bad shooter. I think his his okay. shooting how I will judge his shooting will probably for the most part be how he actually connects on his free throws rather mm. than how he stretches out the floor. I know I read a stat, I believe he hit 11 threes in like 16 EYBL games or something like that. Uh obviously that's a little bit less than one a game. So we're we're not talking about somebody who is going to come in 
projecting themselves to be a a stretch big man right away Mm -hmm. uh as far as the form and whatnot i mean the form's workable to me yeah i think he's got a pretty fluid release a little mechanical at times i think you know some of the shots that he misses get pretty janky like there are some some pretty tough misses yeah but i see reason to be a little bit optimistic for mm-hmm. his ability to, I, I don't want to say stretch the floor as a threat, you know, cause I don't think people are going to be afraid of him. I think most NBA teams eventually are going to at least early on be willing to let him prove that he can knock down shots from the outside rather than keep him near the rim as a lob threat, as a garbage man who can clean up, uh, you know, misses and whatnot. I think people would rather have him outside there. You know, that's uh, especially with something we've heard a lot of, you know, old school guys kind of complain about with some of these big time centers. They're like, right. you're bailing the, uh, you know, the defense out by hanging out at the three point line. I think if he's a guy who's consistently popping instead of rolling, he is going to be bailing the the defense out because I think he's much more of a threat. Seven, two, seven, eight wingspan, probably a crazy standing reach, good athlete. Um, a guy who can clean up misses. So yeah, I, I guess your assessment that he's a bad shooter, I, I guess, you know, I would agree just because I don't think he's going to prove to hit shots at a high enough rate that would kind of give me any other uh, mm-hmm. way to describe it. Yeah. But I also, I, I feel like he's going to play a very similar role to Mark Williams. Mm. And I know we heard a lot of reports, you know, we always saw he was, working on his his outside shot i think uh, at summer league we saw him hit like a kind of dirk mid-range fadeaway when we were in the arena watching him um on a tough hornet summer league squad just tough watch but i I think he's gonna play something similar to that i don't think he's gonna shoot a lot of threes i don't maybe that's controversial that Mm. because i think they're gonna want him um inside i think filipowski is gonna be the floor spacer Mm. now maybe when they're playing with mark mitchell they'll have him outside a little bit more often but even still i think mitchell likes to operate from the wing um and work his way inside so that'll be an interesting dynamic but i, I think he's going to share the floor with filipowski a lot and i, I think they're going to let him be the the guy who's jacking all the outside shots and they're going to yeah. want um lively to kind of have some rim gravity and stick mm-hmm. stick around the hoop I, I think the reason why i brought it up and i kind of wanted to start here was because when i was watching the high school tape there was a willingness to shoot the three um, that I was uh, surprised by is kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Um, just watching some of the games, you mentioned Filipowski. That matchup against the Filipowski brothers was an interesting game for me to watch. And I, I thought it was pretty interesting. And we'll talk more about it later when we get to different parts of his game. But I thought overall, like you mentioned, Corey, I, I really do hope you're right where at Duke, his role is not to shoot threes and to do a lot of picking and popping. Um, However, the reason why I brought it up was because I was surprised by how many threes he took while watching his high school tape. And I was like, well, I hope he doesn't take this many because there's still a long way to go um, for him to be, I think, in my opinion, a comfortable shooter from out there and a confident one. So that's kind of why I wanted to start there. And then, you know, from here, Corey, we can talk about Uh, his touch around the rim and different things in his post-up game and whatever. But I kind of wanted to start with the outside shooting because I was a little surprised by how many he took when I was watching him. Yeah. And um, 
I think that's fair. I think if you look at him in different, a different context, I think when I was watching the team final games, when he was playing with Jalen Duran, mm. you know, I, that was a weird dynamic because they both kind of played inside, but I, I didn't feel like he was, you know, jacking too many. I know I watched uh, one of his high school teams um, games last night uh the west town games and yeah i don't think he shot a single three so i i think that you know to i i feel like it was more of game flow how confident he was feeling as a scorer because he wasn't a big time scorer i mean he averaged 14 points per yeah. game as a senior yeah. in high school and he was what the number two you know overall ranked recruit in his class so um i i just think it's for me it's a wait and see as to Mm. how many he is not willing to attempt, but how many threes Duke is going to give him the freedom Mm. to attempt because, you know, we haven't seen a full season under Shire and, and um, we don't necessarily know what kind of coach he's going to, to be this year. So I I think that's going to be an interesting wrinkle to see how much freedom he gives his entire squad to, you know, experiment because, you know, Duke wants to win. You know, they're they're also not just a team who's like, come here, we'll let you have the keys, you could experiment, grow your game. They also have a goal to to win the game. And I don't know if that gives them the best goal because he does some nice things around around the basket um that I think, you know, bring value from an NBA context. Hmm. That's that's fair work. No, and ultimately for me, like I know it, it sounds harsh when I say that he's a bad shooter, but like I said before, like I, I think there is room for him to grow and he could become a good one. And for me, I brought it up first, but also it's not my ultimate gripe with his game. Like I, I, I think I have other issues with his game that I'd love to talk about and we will get into. Um, but I did bring it up just to say that, like you're, you're saying, Corey, I, I hope he continues to work on it. And if that becomes a part of his game, then we can start then it makes more sense as to him becoming a top 10 or even higher type of prospect in this class. But for what we've seen and with what we have, that's probably not going to be uh, at the top of the marquee in terms of his uh, top skills. So that just, you know, wanted to give a little, a little starter there, a little appetizer. Which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> so offensively, do you have other gripes with his game? <sighs> um okay so what i wrote here was and Corey, you know what this is actually going to be a really good conversation for us to have because you just mentioned that he does some stuff around the rim that you thought was interesting for me Corey, from what i saw um i didn't and i could be wrong so i'm ready to hear your take on this too i thought um his post-up game was pretty rough to watch for me um i thought his touch around the rim was uh hot and cold hot or cold sorry um i thought um when he did catch the ball in the post and teams would send doubles. Cause I mean, in, in high school ball, the competition he's playing against, they will sell send doubles. I thought he needed to do a better job of reading the double, anticipating that and passing out of it. I thought there, I think even now um, there's a lot of room for growth in those areas. Um, it's kind of how I feel initially, because as you mentioned, Corey, that probably is whether it's pick and roll and him diving to the hoop or him catching stuff in the post, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't love what I saw, um, and I think there's room for growth. Is kind of where I want to start, and I'd love to hear your take on it. I yeah, I don't love him in the post. I don't love his ability as a self creator. Good. Okay. I, I thought when he did get the ball in the post, um, t- 
teams were able to push him off his spot a little mm-hmm. bit easily, which is he needs to get stronger. And that's something I think, you know, we'll talk about defensively too. Uh, when he does get the ball there, there's a hesitancy to yeah. what he is going to do with the ball when he gets it. It's almost mm-hmm. as if his first instinct is to pass instead mm-hmm. of make like a, a quick move. And I'm not saying that when you get the ball in the post that you shouldn't be patient, right? You should be able to feel like you can't be rushed. But I also think there's a decisiveness that you need to play with because the longer mm-hmm. that you wait and the longer that you hold on to the ball, the more likely you are to find that the help is, you know, doubling down or you're going to spin into help. Uh, and, and I think when you make a quick decision, you're not allowing the defense to, you know, kind of make those decisions for you. So I think he does, if he's going to be a threat to get the ball on the block and score down there. And cause I do think he's, he's obviously very tall. I think that he's very long. And if he develops some sort of just like little one drop step over the left shoulder hook shot, like that could be very effective for him because it'll be hard to challenge it. But right now it does seem like he's tentative and he isn't sure of himself as a scorer, even at the high school level. So it's not going to get easier. Now I I do think he has decent vision when he does pass out, but, but one of the, the things that, counterbalances the vision and the creation off these passes is that he's not really forcing himself to be a threat to kind of make that defense move. So when he's passing, like if he's making a weak side hit um, because he's passing out of the, the post, the defense isn't like shifted or worried about him enough as a scoring threat that there's enough room to like where shooters are going to have like a ton of space and a ton of time to get mm. looks off. You know, like that's what makes Jokic so so dangerous in the post as a passer, right? Like he is, if you don't double him, he's going to score on you most of the time. You have to double him, but you also can't double him. So it's an impossible predicament to to solve. Obviously, Lively isn't being billed as some offensive mastermind. Um, But I do think if he just had one or two go-to moves that he can confidently get to and get to quickly, then we will see the ability that I think is there of him as kind of a pretty decent passer to find his, his teammates for open looks. So I, I thought mm. that was interesting, but um, outside of his self creation ability, I think he's going to be a play finisher rather than a yes. play creator. And I think yeah. when you look at even like the McDonald's all American game, um, the hoop summit, I, I think when he's like, rim running in transition when he is serving as a lob threat in the pick and roll when he's around the basket cleaning up misses and kind of you know even if he misses a a put back he's got a quick second jump and he's long and he can kind of you know create another opportunity that's what I want to see from Derek Lively and what I think he's really capable of um because you know he's had some pretty fluid you know two-hand go up and get it dunks off out of the pick and roll um, so I, I hope he gets the opportunity to, to show that mm. in college, because I do think he'll get an opportunity in the NBA to show it in a much more spaced out pick and roll driven league. Right. Right. And Corey, you know, I, I do want to say, like, I agree with everything that you said. I think 
once again, when it comes to the shooting or the post-up game, I, I wanted to bring these things up because uh, he is being billed as one of the top prospects in this class. Not that he's being billed as like a top five guy necessarily, but still, even a top 10 player is, that's a high pick, you know, to be taken that high in the draft. So I did want to bring that up, but a couple of things, <clears throat> excuse me, wanted to piggyback on. Um, the passing actually really surprised me. And uh, it is something that I wrote in my notes here. I wrote surprisingly good passer. Was not expecting that at all. And he threw some good ones. Corey, the point that you made about the weak side hits, uh, it's actually a pretty wild, uh, not a wild take, but a really, like, I didn't even realize what I was watching until you just explained it to me, if that makes sense. Because I was like, because he was, I mean, the reason why I wrote that he was a good passer was I saw him make some weak side hits. I was like, oh, that's, that's good. But at the same time, like, the shooters weren't open. And I was just like, oh, all right, cool. Like, it's just a good pass. And that's all my brain went to. And then the way that you just explained it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, that makes more sense. The def- the, the shooter, when he catches on the weak side, isn't as open because... The, to, anyway, just wanted to g- give you props on that for being an incredible teacher here and teaching me as we go. Um, but also, Corey, I did want to say, um, in terms of the finishing and the fluidity, that was one of the strengths for me when I watched Lively play. Just him running up and down the court felt very different for somebody that size. And it was to the point where he was running up and down the court and he didn't look 7-1 to me. If anything, he almost looked like 6-8 to me. And not because he was short, but because of the fluidity that he was moving with. I was like, yeah. oh, this is kind of not normal. How fluid. He runs like a gazelle. Yeah. Yeah. And And like sometimes I think even that statement, people could take it in different ways, but it's like, he is the most fluid gazelle I've seen in a long time move at that size, you know, um, which was really, really cool to watch. And Corey, I cannot agree with you more. I feel like at Duke, Shire and that staff, they're going to ask him to be, as you said it, a play finisher. And when it comes to play finishing at that size with his athleticism and fluidity, that is going to be a weapon for them. It's just when it comes to the post-up game, as you mentioned, Corey, the hesitancy is there. However, also, like, it's just there. He just needs to go into the lab to, as you said, add a move or two because it just doesn't exist at all right now. And a, a larger theme for me, Corey, when it comes to Lively, and you said it before, that his frame is lacking. For me, Corey, when I was watching him play, um, the thought that came to my mind was a lot of people are going to talk about his frame and the lack of frame. But for me, the thing that I didn't like about Lively that I loved about Chet Holmgren last year is that even if you lack a frame, if you have the heart, desire, and effort, you can make up for the lack of frame. I thought there were there were many times where Lively didn't show the effort that I was looking for. Um, and so you're right. He does need to work on the frame, but in my, from what I saw, I thought the frame has to come with more desire, more passion, and more want was kind of how I felt. Okay. Yeah. So there are times that I very much so felt like, um, like Derek Lively wasn't necessarily engaged enough that he made you feel his presence on the floor. Yes. And um, I think what I'm trying to be cognizant of here, because it's certainly not like a good quality, right? Like you don't like, like you said, Chet, you always kind of knew he was around when you went and saw Victor in Las Vegas. He made you feel like he is around Um, the best big men. You don't question their motor. 
But Correct. I think one of the lessons that we consistently learn in the draft space is that maybe sometimes when we break down the high school tape of these big men, it's hard to kind of figure out if it's a motor problem or if it's like, how many times are you going to run down the floor before with your guards not giving you the ball ever before you're not going to always run back down the floor? Because I don't necessarily feel that same way defensively. Not that he like was going like this aggressive, mm-hmm. like I am like, he wasn't Jarrett Walker, right. Who I, I like to say is made of lions and was just everywhere and anywhere all at once just made you just weary of where he is at, at every moment. It's not like that, but I also don't think he wasn't like bringing it defensively. You know, when he was involved in an action, he was engaged in it. And, and I think learning how to be engaged when you're not involved with the action is something that you know he'll develop in time and i think he's going to be more involved um at the next level in college because you have to be in high school he can get away with maybe not like consistently being in the right spot or rotating at the right minute every single time because he has that length and athleticism that he's going to be able to clean up his mess just by using his you know physical tools so i do think that I'm going to wait and see Got before it. we talk about the motor. I, I mean, look, Jalen Duran, that was a, that was a, uh, something we talked about early with him. Um, uh, you know, we, we've talked about it with a lot of talented bigs. Sometimes it's kind of true, you know, like Mo Bamba, Bol Bol, one of them having a resurgence this year. Uh, you know, our, our guy, Bol Bol, who we've, you know, told numerous stories about on this podcast mm-hmm. with his red jacket and how I thought he was an alien, but you know, like, so sometimes it, it, it matters and it, and it ends up being the case going forward. And sometimes it, it kind of doesn't matter. And when guys get to that next level and they're coached up and they're in more important games, you, you see it because there were also moments like with lively. Cause again, that was one of my critiques is that I didn't always feel his presence. And when he was playing on team final with Jalen Duran, I very much so felt like Duran was a much better prospect than him that he was the much better prospect. He was the guy on that team. And they're the same age, you know, because we have to remember that Duran reclassified. Um, But there were also moments where like Lively would come in and like swat the ball or, you know, throw down like an alley-oop or get a putback. And he would be like pounding his chest and screaming. And so I I think that motor is inside of him. And I I think that, you know, we're going to see, very early on whether or not you know that's something that he can consistently play with because if he consistently play with motor you know we're talking about a much different player than the one who maybe sometimes is a kind of tentative you know 17 year old kid that hasn't necessarily matured yet no i I think all that is fair Corey, and i i think one of the main reasons why I brought it up, and I'm actually not going to disagree with you. I just kind of want to give give you a little bit more as to what, like where my head was when mm-hmm. I came to that conclusion. Is it, it really was like watching all the games that I watched him playing for West Town. Um, I I think maybe it was just my desire for him, um, you know, wanting him to want it more. Now, as you mentioned, Corey, he is going to be going to college. And in college, things can change, dude. Pe- personalities change. You know how many of our friends, when we went to college, became different people, right? It's a very real possibility. But also for me, Corey, like, and I mentioned this game before, but 
watching him play against the Filipowski brothers, it reminded me of like the dream team doc uh, from years ago when uh, Michael and Scotty talked about playing Tony Kukoc and that Croatian team. Right. And they were all amped up for the game. And they're like, this guy is being billed as a guy to carry us to more titles, whatever. Like we want to go and kick his ass. Right. And for me, like going into that game between Lively and the Filipowski brothers, I was thinking like, damn, if I was Derek Lively, and I'm playing against a guy, well, yeah, we're going to be on the same team next year, but hey, we might be playing for minutes, you know, against each other. I thought, like, I was hoping that Lively would come into that game, like, kind of like Scoot did coming into that game against Victor, like, wanting to come for his throat, and I didn't get that feeling all the time, and I felt like his effort and his focus and his desire kind of wavered, and so that part I didn't love. But, Corey, once again, I'm not disagreeing with you. Obviously, there is still time for him to change and to show more of that motor but just going off the high school tape i didn't love like the hot and cold flashes and i guess i just wanted a little bit more consistency yeah me too i i I agree with what you're saying completely i think if you're just judging strictly based off the tape like yeah he, he didn't always show it it was hot uh or cold and you know that it the effort uh the effort maybe the effort's not the right word but the 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 want it the the the, that Mm -hmm give a shit waned right like that that inherent just like joe kim noah-ness uh right. in a player that heart uh it wasn't always apparent so look it's something that we write down and, and we look for at the next level um because again you know 17 year old kid so yeah. we'll see uh what did you think about him like in the pick and roll what did I think about him? Well, really quickly, Corey, I laughed when you mentioned Joe Kim Noah because in my head I was like, okay, so Corey's going to bring a Bulls reference here. What's my Knicks <laughs> reference? And my brain went to Ronaldo Balkman. So, okay. uh, not fun. <laughs> not fun. <laughs> but people like mm-hmm. Knicks fans were excited about Balkman when they saw him play initially. Yeah. He no, had like, course. he I had moments his rookie year where people were like, this is our guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is our guy. Wow. Uh, you're right, though. You're right. I mean, the energy that he played with and the little things he was doing offensively here and there, people got excited. But OK, uh, pick and roll stuff, pick and roll stuff. Um, once again, for me, watching him in the pick and roll, the thing that stood out to me once again was the fluidity. However, Corey, so the finishing there, I, I get it. I'm with you. Right. He's going to be an impact finisher because he's going to get up high. He's going to use his length. He's going to finish over people. I get all that. Um, my only concern is he set some really terrible screens. Yeah. Um, it was um, not pretty to watch. And my thing is, well, you know, if you're going to be the screener in a screen and roll, you might want to be good at that. Um, so, hey. Maybe this is where Coach Shire and that staff come in and they teach this guy to actually set some, um, you know, effective screens that'll assist and help their guards. If that happens, and of course, in the pick and roll, he becomes a threat. And then if he continues to grow as a shooter, then a pick and pop threat becomes a possibility as well. But my biggest concern with him that I wrote here in my notes is I wrote, he set some of the worst screens I've ever seen in my life was what I wrote <laughs> here. So um, that is my overall evaluation so far. Well, clearly you have not uh, coached varsity basketball. <laughs> I have not, Corey. Because I have, I have seen <laughs> significantly worse screen setters in my life uh, than Derek <laughs> Lively. <laughs> but uh, I do agree that 
he is not a very good screen setter. He doesn't make great contact. He very much so prefers to ghost the screens. Yes. I, I think that screen setting is a lost art for big men. Mm. I think there are a lot of big men that l- could really change the effectiveness of their game by just learning how to screen better. Because when you're not making contact, a lot of times all you're doing is just bringing a defender to these high-level guards who could probably just break down their man one-on-one easier than if you bring your defender with them. Um, so uh, he's a guy who likes to, you know, kind of do that sometimes. He'll ghost a screen. He'll he'll slip a screen early, uh, dive to the hoop. And those are effective strategy, you know, screening strategies when mm-hmm. you're able to mix it up with actually setting screens. But he's very much so one of those guys who isn't going to take it in the chest Right. He's the kind of guy that's more so going to kind of stick his hip out and and hit you with like, you know, with the butt a little bit, uh, which a lot of times ends up as an offensive foul mm-hmm. when the refs are you know willing to call it. So. I don't know if that's something that we'll see improve or not, because that's just a want it. Do you want to get exactly. hit? And we talk about it every time with a lot of these big guys. Like, do you just want to get hit? Like, and that's what you're going to be working in the weight room for just to get hit, to be physical. Um, mm-hmm. Because if he can mix up like the phys- physicality with that, you know, smooth agility that he has, I, th- I think that could be a really, you know, big boon to his game because it doesn't even have to be like, like when Dwight wanted to get stronger so he could work in the post. That isn't what Derek Lively needs to do. He needs to get stronger so he can, hit somebody on a screen, create a little bit of extra space and time for himself at the guards and, you know, use that athleticism to create gravity at the rim as a finisher. Um, Because if he could do that, then when he goes to screen and slips it early and he throws off the rhythm of the defenders and doesn't become so predictable, then he is actually, you know, making that ball screen action really difficult to guard. Uh, Especially because I, and I didn't see a lot of, the kind of short role playmaking. Um, but I think it's something that he's going to have to show at some point because yeah. that's so much of NBA playmaking for, for big men. Uh, you know, I think that he is capable of it. Cause again, I do think he can make pretty basic reads. And I think the short role is becoming kind of a staple of the offense to where it's, you know, pretty basic read when you know where your options are going to be in the offense. But even being like, a guy who's going to be able to operate out of, you know, kind of like DHOs from the elbows um, and, and different actions, you know, there. Yeah. Like I think just learning how to hit somebody and it seems simple enough, you know, it's a simple, just hit them, (laughs) but you know, it isn't always. Um, But with that said, he still has proven to be a pretty good lob threat. And, you know, on those occasions where you do find him running in the screen and roll and he does make even a little bit of contact, at at least at this level, even in some of these all-star games, which, you know, high-level athletes, guys uh, on his talent level, he's able to create that room gravity, which, you know, if he's rolling to the rim, you have to have the man tagging him, which creates, you know, different passing opportunities if you have a big, you know, good playmaking guard. So I I think... and. Tyrese Proctor would benefit from that. Jeremy Roach, like these guys at Duke, I think are going to have opportunities to to make plays out of using his rim gravity. So it, it'll be an interesting thing to kind of monitor going forward. Was there anything else offensively that, you know, kind of stood out to you about his game? Because I, no. I feel like he's a very cookie cutter offensive player. Yes. 
You know, I think if you're expecting him to be a guy who's going to create very early on, I don't foresee him creating at any high level capacity probably throughout his career. But um, if you're expecting that early on, I, I would, temper those mm-hmm. expectations but i think it's fine because i think sometimes it's easier for guys who just know who they are that's that's what we loved about mark williams last year at right Duke, right it, he didn't right. have to be this guy that was the modern unicorn big right like that's what i think both of us kind of didn't like about a guy like kai jones mm-hmm. you know like we did like Sometimes guys do too much, and even if they show a flash of it, doesn't mean they're going to be able to replicate it onto actual productive NBA minutes. So I I think that him playing within himself and maybe adding the ability to stretch the floor eventually, I Mm. think that is his pathway to being, you know, a a solid offensive contributor. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. All right. Um, Let's take a quick break, and then let's get into his defense. All right. We are back to break down Derek Lively's defense. What was the most impressive aspect of his defensive game to you? That's a tough question. That's a tough question. Um, my answer would be his length. Mm. Mm, I thought, oh, you know, actually, dang, that's actually a really hard question. You know why, Corey? Because I also had critiques of his defensive game, mm. but like the good stuff is really, really good. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat here. You know, no, no, you know what? You know what? Let me, let me. Shit, I liked his feet. Mm. I did like his feet. Now, his feet weren't always what I wanted them to be. And once again, though, Corey, like, I think, can I be honest with you? Yeah, of I think the reason why I'm being like extra critical when it comes to lively was because I'm not going to mention the site. Okay. Because we, we, we don't like to snipe at people here on our, on our podcast, but I read a breakdown of lively's game from a reputable website where they did a breakdown of his game and they like described him as this very versatile offensive player and all these things. And I was like reading it and I was like, this does not match the player that I'm watching on tape. And I think that's why like my evaluation became a little bit more critical than maybe it needs to be. But um, to answer your question, Corey, it's I thought his footwork might have been the most Im- most imp- impressive thing. But also, I loved his length and I also like different aspects of his defense. So let me just stop and give you the chance to go. But I'll just start with his feet. I feel like you have him ranked higher than I do. Mm-hmm. And you're the guy being super critical and I'm the one who is defending him. <laughs> I feel like it would be reversed based on what our rankings are. Of yeah. Him. yeah. Uh. Yeah, you know, that's why I typically I don't like to I mean, I consume every piece of content that's out there, especially regarding the draft. I think if you just live in a bubble and ignore it, you're not going to make yourself better. But I try to not consume content about a player until I have kind of formed my own evaluation. And so that, you know, you don't harbor those feelings of like, what is this person talking about i don't see that like you know um and then once you've forged that opinion yourself you have like a much stronger base so you're not like looking out for certain things and being let down 
is kind of where I'm at. Okay. Obviously, it's hard to um, completely avoid that throughout this, you know, long draft cycle. But it, it's definitely something that I've kind of tried to do myself. I mean, I I didn't even want to read like ESPN or anybody's rankings of where they were doing players before I created my own board outside of doing this podcast. So that that's something that has helped me, I think recently to Mm. not kind of look for things to nitpick and just form my own conclusions. Um, Yeah. I I really thought that he does a good job when he gets switched out on the guards. Yes. Yeah. You know, I I think he's got the length um, and he's got, the ability to flip his hips and move those feet that you were talking about and challenge, you know, cause look, NBA guards, they are too talented. And now we're, we're getting guards that are bigger and we're getting guards that are bigger and faster at the NBA level. So it's, it's even more imperative for a, a big to be able to kind of stay alive on an Island. But even when he got beat, when you talk about his length, he's able to recover and at least get back in the play because he is so long. So I, I thought the combination of like how he was able to switch on the perimeter onto these guards and then recover when he gets beat, that was really impressive to me because that ability speaks to me that he's going to be able to play multiple coverages. He's going to be able to blitz screens. He's going to be able to play in a drop. I think, I, I think that, you know, uh, we'll see, guards that are a little bit more capable of making him play a cat and mouse game and having to guard two um, in those drops at the, you know, in the ACC against some of these guards, you know, I, I don't know how much of that I really took away from his high school tape, but I think those college guards would be a little craftier in, in getting him to commit one way or the other. But I, I think he's got a really solid base as a modern big man defender who is scheme versatile. I think there are times where, yeah, he gets a little bodied, you know, if, if you do go down in the post, um, sometimes, you know, he'll give up space and yes. box him out and, you know, he'll give mm-hmm. up boards. Maybe that's kind of where those motor questions come sometimes. Um, but I thought he had, you know, good instincts as a weak side shot blocker. Sometimes I did think that he was like a split second too late, but even in that split second, because it was against high school competition, he was able to come over and really like send somebody shit into the stand still. And he'll still be able to do that to a lot of guards at the next level. But I also think that, you know, that's something that his ability to quickly um, read where the play is going before it happens. So he meets them there instead of reacts to where it's going is going to be something that's going to help push him further as a defender. But I, I did really like a lot of his defensive game. Obviously he is being billed as kind of like a defensive, you know, rim running player, so it, it's not surprising that I liked his defense better than his offense, which is a little bit more basic. Cause I think there's a little bit more nuance and subtleties to the, the defense than, than the offensive side of the ball. No, uh, I agree. I really do. And, um, you know, just watching him play Corey, I could not agree with you more about the point that you made with him and his positioning. Um, I really thought there were some times like I, I was, actually getting kind of pissed off i was like dude like come on like don't let this guy just destroy you and throw you into like the the stanchion or whatever like i i just wanted a little bit more um but i get it Corey. like i think everything that you're saying and also to be fair Corey, 
I'm realizing now that like this is the most high school basketball I've ever watched in my life. Yeah. And of course, you get to watch it live all the time. It's and awesome. I'm <laughs> and I'm realizing you and I are coming from different places and I really do appreciate the insight that you're giving me because I'm like watching some of this stuff and I'm like, God, like this is shit. Like some of it, you know, but I'm understanding more and more that I have to temper my expectations and see them as high school students and not college players or NBA players. And so I'm learning too. I'm growing too. Um, but to kind of piggyback off of everything that you said, Corey, the footwork stuff is interesting. And I'm I'm more excited to see what he's like after the whole college experience with Shire and that staff. Like, I really do hope he gets even better. Um, we saw Mark Williams be excellent. Uh, in that position last year and in that role for Duke. And if he can do that or even do it better, then we're talking about a really, really good defensive player is what I think. And like we mentioned earlier, his length is real. Uh, it's tangible. It's not just a number on a sheet. You feel his length when you watch his tape, which is really cool. Some of the jump shots he was blocking was like really impactful and loud. He was like slapping the shit out of balls, just sw actually swatting them. And that kind of stuff, as Corey, you know, like that could be like momentum shifters and kind of change the mood in the gym and all that stuff. So um, I did like all that. I'm excited to see more. And uh, also did want to say I wish he was a little bit more aggressive on the boards. Um, just, you know, another thing where you've got to box out and fight and want it, right? So I think our overall theme with Lively today is we not that we're questioning him per se, but on the next level, would like to see a little bit more of that desire and passion and fight. And if that's there, then we're talking about a really, really high level prospect here. So um, can't agree with you more. Just my last thing was would like to see him board a little bit better, but that could come. Yeah, and you know, he averaged 14 a game, which, yeah. you know, that's still a good number for a high school Correct. big Correct. man, even though he is that big. And that's probably the baseline for what he should be getting. It's still an, a hard number to attain because you also have to realize high school games are 32 Shorter. minutes instead yeah. of, you know, 40 in college, 48 minutes in the NBA. Um, I think that it's time to, uh, if you're buying stock, and Derek Lively, who may you have bought stock in previously? This was really hard for me, Corey. Um, I actually couldn't get one that I thought was like really, really accurate mm. for me. Um, usually I'm like really confident in my choices and I'm like really excited to tell you about them. But <laughs> today is not the case. And I don't know why. And I don't know what it is exactly. Um, and it may be like my the critiques that I had for his game or whatever. But, you know, I, I got like little hints of UMass Marcus Camby. That was, that I, that's okay. one of mine. Nice. Marcus Camby. <laughs> All right, good. Then I'm then I'm happy Then I'm in a good place because I mean, if 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 people remember and, and not to hate if you're younger and you don't remember, that's fine, too. Like, I don't remember Elgin Baylor, so don't kill me. Um, but um, Marcus Camby at UMass and, you know, if you go back and watch some of that tape and then early Raptors, Knicks, whatever, uh, Marcus Camby nuggets. was a very, nuggets too, right? Very springy athlete. He was. And that was he was a big part of that 99 Knicks team that made it to the finals when Ewing went down with injury. Canby was a huge part of our team with his rebounding and defense and his overall energy on the floor was he, he was a, he was an impactful athlete 
for that Knicks team making it all the way to the finals just gets smacked by the Spurs but you know was a really important part of that team so I'm gonna go Marcus Camby here I'm sure you're gonna have better examples but UMass Raptors Knicks Denver Marcus Camby was kind of what came to mind yeah Marcus Camby was the first guy that came to mind also because Camby turned into a guy who could knock down a yeah like 18 foot jumper by the end of his yeah. career. You know, that's, that's kind of, that was like his go-to shot <laughs> offensively, you know, like a pop threat, you know, uh, he wasn't stretching out to three cause basketball wasn't played that way back then. But I, I think a modern version of that is something that lively could aspire to be. I think that he moves similarly to Evan Mobley. Oh, at, at least defensively. Yeah. I think they have like similar body types, like the way that they, just their positioning, the way they position their legs defensively, like I don't know, it it reminded me of that. But it's a Evan Mobley light, <laughs> you know, because Evan Mobley, much more capable ball handler, uh, much more capable playmaker. You know, I think one of the ways I think we described Evan Mobley as an elite playmaker when we were doing his episode, which was I believe the second episode that we did with yeah. Tyler Metcalf. Yes, so. I, I don't think he has the same levels to his game, but I think that the way that he moves is very similar. And, you know, I think that um, if he could be 85% of what Mobley is defensively, you have yourself a pretty fantastic player. And then, you know, maybe Tyson Chandler, you know, a guy like Tyson Chandler, who if his, if his jumper doesn't end up translating, but just a guy who can pressure the rim, Lob threat, rim runner, defensive anchor, you know, guy who maybe could just 30 minutes a game, two two blocks a game, 11, 12, 13 rebounds, 10 points, something like that. Like, that's a pretty good outcome, especially if you're getting a guy, like, late in the lottery. Um, and if he adds a couple of assists, you know, just able to play make a little bit, you know, all the better. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's – I like that one. And I hope he becomes a screener that Tyson Chandler became later on in his career too. So. Yeah, but I think that it's hard to find a modern player somehow that plays like him because now you're thinking like Daniel Gafford, like Mitchell Robinson, and they don't quite feel right, right. to me. Mm-hmm. I Guys agree like with that. that. You know, Jared Allen maybe, but Jared Allen seems, I don't know. There's, yeah, he's, a, I, I feel like, even though his game is fairly simplistic, there's not too many guys that play like him anymore. Yeah. Or at least the way we're talking about him <laughs> as a prospect. Right. <laughs> I'm fully ready for, for uh, oh, him boy. to come out shooting like 38% from three running, Jeez. you know, inverted pick and rolls. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm fully ready for that. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm willing and ready for that experience. Uh, it's time for America's favorite segment, Albert. Uh, it's time for you to sell me this pen on Duke big man, Derek Lively. All right, here we go. This is going to become a lot easier for me now that Corey has uh, talked me down and talked me off the ledge. And I'm feeling a little bit better about Derek Lively and overall just the evaluation process that I'm on. But uh, okay, here we go. Derek Lively, seven foot one center playing for Duke. He has really long arms. And here's how you're going to use him on your NBA team someday. Okay. He's a guy who's going to protect the rim. 
He's a very fluid athlete, a guy that's going to be able to play the cat and mouse game and the pick and roll, right? He's going to be able to show and, you know, intimidate ball handlers with his length and his leaping ability on the offense side of the ball. From day one, he's going to be a lob threat, pick and roll guy. He's going to be diving hard to the rim. He's going to be able to finish all the lobs that you throw up to him. Now, where you get excited about a player like this is the potential because there is a world where a guy like Derek Lively ends up becoming a, a player at that size who may be able to extend his range a little bit. He showed a little bit of high school where he was willing to take the three and shoot from outside. If he continues to cultivate that part of his game, he may actually become a pick and pop threat for you one day. And so if you're looking for a mobile, agile, defensive minded center with the potential of him, maybe even becoming an outside shooter one day, then you should be very interested in one Derek Lively. I'm buying. Sign me up. <laughs> you know, I feel better about him too um, mm. after this episode, but I, I still don't think he's going to climb my rankings until I see how impactful he is at the college season. I'm very interested because they've already started, but I can't wait to see the lively versus where debates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very excited for, for that. Um, for the 2023 NBA draft cycle. All right, Albert, uh, I need you to uh, tell the the fine folks listening uh, all around the World Wide Web where they can find you on the internet and, you know, give a little plug for the last episode of the Home and Away podcast oh. on the No Ceilings podcast feed that you did with your boy, our boy, everyone's boy, Josh Spice. All right, absolutely. Um, well, first off, uh, my Twitter handle uh, is at Alberto with an E, Gim, uh, is my Twitter handle. You'd find me on Twitter, uh, usually trolling and spewing nonsense, but I like to live my life. You know, I like to have fun out here. Um, but as Corey mentioned, uh, we dropped an episode of the Home and Away pod where I hosted for the first time on the No Ceilings Podcast Network, which uh, is strange for me because as Corey knows, I used to host my own podcast and then actually I hosted a couple podcasts on my own and then haven't done that in a while. So I kind of had to get back in the driver's seat and re uh, remember, or re remember, Jesus, remember how to do that. <laughs> um, and it was a lot of fun. And I, and I got to host it with one of my absolute best friends on the planet and Josh Spice. And we're going to be jumping on whenever we can to talk about marketing draft prospects and NBA players and all kinds of pop culture stuff. And we are going to get weird with the pod. So if you're interested in that, check out our latest episode, which dropped earlier this morning. And uh, actually, uh, later this week on Thursday, I'll be dropping my article on Brandon Miller, where mm -hmm. I'll be comparing him to a very popular HBO character. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so be on the lookout for that. Let's go. Uh, I will also be dropping an, an article. Um, actually it already dropped. You're listening to this on a Thursday <laughs> in audio format. If you're watching live, it will be released Wednesday at 9am Eastern central time. And if you're listening to this on the no ceilings podcast, it has already dropped. Maybe you already read it, but I am either writing about slash wrote uh, about my experience, uh, at the Overtime Elite Pro Day in Atlanta that I went to last week. I collabed with uh, our colleague Stephen Gillespie on that. And, um, you know, we had a great time getting an up-close look at Amen Thompson, Asar Thompson, Bryson Tiller, Nas Cunningham, Ja'Kai Howard, Bryce Griggs. I mean, just the whole Overtime Elite program 
got a tour of their arena and their facilities and, you know, spoke with coach Gomes and, um, you know, it was filled with NBA executives and scouts. And it was just a really great opportunity to get a look at a lot of really talented prospects that you're going to be hearing now and in the future. So, um, yeah, if you haven't yet, read that uh, at noceilingsnba.com and subscribe. It's free. We are back to five to six days a week getting that content delivered directly to your inbox every single morning. So uh, subscribe because, again, I repeat, it's free. What's better than that? The answer is nothing. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Corey Tullabell, YouTube, the NBA Draft Dude. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button for No Ceilings TV. Um, and we're on TikTok now. I'm at the NBA Draft Dude on TikTok. We're at No Ceilings NBA on TikTok. We posted an Amen Thompson video that got like 90,000 views last week. So we're, you know, we're doing the damn thing um, in all of the damn places. So you're not, we say No Ceilings is everywhere and we truly are trying to be. So you can't avoid us. Uh, Make sure that you lock in every single day. Tomorrow we have Tyler and Tyler as usual. And then we are back um, with our five day a week schedule on this feed, which I think is going really well. I think it's really cool that we're we're doing this and giving you the most comprehensive draft coverage and audio mm. f- and video format that you could possibly get. That's right. All right. So rate, review, share all the good stuff, guys. That stuff really helps us. Um, so until next time, we out. Peace. Peace.